Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. So Jeff, today we have a very special guest. And I've told you a little bit about him in the past, but he's joining us today. It's Robert Brzozowski. And Robert Brzozowski is a, I would call him a senior level, well-tenured HR leader. And that's probably a lot. He's probably going to try to play that down a little bit, but I figured <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd try to slip it in. Robert, we're so glad that you've joined us on the Spirit of EQ podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. So, uh, Robert, we talked offline. Uh, it's probably been about a month or so ago. To just kind of, I, I know initially it was just kind of, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I, what, what I loved about your approach was your obviously you have the knowledge because you've been around a long time as it relates to this thing we call hr and i'm going to give the audience an opportunity to hear from you about some of the things and some of the companies you've worked with historically but uh your blend of compassion and business acumen was what really leaped out to me and certainly it's it's great for the universe right but selfishly speaking, I thought, man, I got to get this guy on the podcast. So that that's a little bit of a backstory for the audience uh, as to how we came to today. So before I jump right in with some of these questions uh, around HR and around the current state of this thing we call workplace, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your history, and and then we'll get going on on the others. Sure, sure. And yeah, I like how you use the term seasoned, Eric. You're right. I um, I have been around for a while. <laughs> and it wasn't intended to make you feel old. So. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> With age comes wisdom. There you uh, go. Worked in a lot, you know, as you said, I've worked in quite a few different places. Um, like most other people, started off as an individual contributor and kind of worked myself up the ladder. And I've worked in companies with very different types of cultures over the years. I sort of grew up at PricewaterhouseCoopers, also known as PwC, um, always on the HR side, but had multiple different types of roles in HR over the time that I was there. I was a global mobility leader for a while, a leader of HR business partners, a recruiting leader. And the cool thing is that a big organization like that, there's enough sort of room to reinvent yourself and move around and you know stick around for a while. So. That's what I did there. Um, and then from there, I moved to a place where I had a much nicer cultural alignment, and that was moving to the Walt Disney Company. Uh, and so, you know, not only did I have a really cool job, um, but I was working with, um, I think, people, I was working with creatives and people who I was just a little bit more aligned with. 
in, in terms of how they, they think. It, interestingly enough, when I got there, one of the first things I noticed was that decisions were made based on sort of left brain, right brain. It wasn't just about the analytics, which was the case at, at PwC, as you might expect, of course. At Disney, right. there was an emotional factor there as well that I really kind of liked. And if you think about it, you know, when, a, when a, an executive is trying to decide if they want to green light a movie or not, it's not going to be all about analytics. It's going to be about, okay, how am I feeling? And so that sort of, that kind of permeates throughout the culture, which I really loved. Wow. And I'll wrap up just in a second, but um, from there I moved on to Netflix, which is where I was most recently. And everybody is, well, most people are probably familiar with the fact that Netflix has a very different and uh, a unique type of culture as well. So I was there for a few years also. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, the Disney piece there, that's so intriguing to me, this idea that the two work together. And Jeff, as you know, and we've discussed, and even with our clients, is that our objective is not to get people to have to choose one or the other and that they both work well when they work well together, right? You know? Yes. Uh, it's powerful. So um, one of the first things I'm going to ask you about, and obviously between all of us here on the podcast, it, you know, we're hearing so much about the disruption of our current workplace, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the things that are associated with that. And from your perspective, Robert, what are a couple of things that are leaping out to you when, when you see the landscape of the current workplace and specific to the disruption that's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Eric. Um, you know, when I think about this, the first thing that comes to mind is I wish the pendulum would kind of stay in the middle and not swing, you know, from one side to the other the way it does. And I think what we saw during the pandemic was you know, there was a real, you know, there's a shrinkage of the economy in some roles, you know, namely certain parts of the service sector, for example. Right. And then there was this exponential expansion in, in other parts of the economy, you know, whether it was, um, you know, streaming services or Peloton or whatever. And so it created this environment where, you know, there was a need for people. Um, and at the same time, we were, as professionals, we were going through this stage in our lives where um, we, we, we were just more challenged emotionally. We were feeling less grounded during the pandemic. Our worlds were turned upside down. And employ employers recognized that. So they recognized that, you know, they, they needed to, they needed people first and foremost to do the work. And right. so they needed to also lean in and take care of them, perhaps more than they had before. And so, you know, that created a swing of the pendulum, let's say, you know, to, to, to one side. I think now what we're seeing is there's a shrinkage in a lot of these same places as we're coming out of the pandemic and things are normalizing and the pendulum is swinging back and that feels hard for people. And so companies are finding themselves in this situation where, you know, they're worried about inflation, they're worried about increasing interest rates, they're worried about the stock market and pleasing shareholders and, you know, Biggest, biggest thing of all is they're, we're worried about a recession and what might that do to their business. And so they're trying to prepare for that. But unfortunately, in trying to prepare for those things, sometimes that comes, the, that comes at the cost of employee well-being because the focus becomes so much on the results that it shifts from the results to the people or, or from, the, from the people to the results, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do, do you, when you mentioned that, one of the things that comes to my mind is about the leaders 
development of resources over time, right? Mm-hmm. And and Jeff probably to nausea knows that I use exercise analogies a lot, right? So Robert, when we think about uh, muscle, right, and strength, mm-hmm. um, someone who's committed to that when they're younger and has built a practice around, okay, in this case, maybe the lifting of weights or strength training. I know some people can narrow that down to, oh, he just wants to have a six pack or she wants to have a six pack or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's this other thing that happens too, is that when we move down the road of life and get to an age when we're not as young, there's resources that have been built. And again, nobody knows what it's going to be like when you're 60 versus when you were 30, whether you're going to have to have stability to help yourself from falling or to help prevent a fall or whatever. But I just wonder sometimes, and I know no one could predict the pandemic. I'm please (laughs) for our audience. I'm not saying that, but Robert, do you think that we were focusing on building resources to help us prepare for maybe the unexpected? If I can say it that way. Say a little bit more, Eric, on, I I just want to make sure I'm fully understanding your question. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, the pandemic did that I think that it did, right. It was a proverbial pulling the rug out from underneath us Mm -hmm. as it relates to this emotional well-being piece. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things, and I think this is just kind of basic, right. Is that, if I have an emotional awareness, I've got to be sensitive to where you might be at as my direct report or two direct reports away. But I can't just flip a switch if I've never been working that muscle. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yes. And that's kind of where I'm going with it. Okay. So I think those muscles are there in most most organizations to some degree. Mm-hmm. I think for certain the pandemic created an almost overnight need for companies to pay a lot more attention, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know, I can just speak from personal experience. I mean, we were told, we were constantly reminded from our most senior leadership to check in with our team members and ask how they were doing and what was happening in their lives and to listen and to change our expectations of them a little bit and give them some more space to, to take care of things like childcare and well-being and getting outside to get some exercise. And, and so I think the organizations that really got it right during the pandemic, maybe they weren't there going in, but they pivoted really quickly and started mm-hmm. focusing on all the right things. And then I think, you know, as, as employees, as leaders, we got used to those things. We got used to kind of having that level of concern. And the more the world goes back to sort of the old way of doing things, I think it's been it's been a challenge maybe to let go of some of those things, so, you know, some of that concern that we felt during that time. And I think, you know, I, I know one of the things that we were we wanted to talk about today was returning to the office to yeah. work together in person and how you know how team employees and leaders alike are having such a hard time with that and for a lot of good reasons and at the same time leadership is faced with this challenge of you know we really need to get our people back together in person for a whole host of good reasons right 
but they're trying to figure out how to do that in a way that you know that, that doesn't cause uh, you know a, a mass exit and doesn't yeah. cause you know a terrible shift in morale yeah Robert can I I want to go back to something that or something that popped up in my mind anyway the company that I worked with that I retired from before I started doing this stuff um, we got hit by a recession downturn in business and I think the major thing for us to get through it was the owners and leadership was totally 100% upfront and honest to the employees mm -hmm. saying this is going to be a tough time and these are the decisions we're going to have to make and this is why and do you see companies doing that when they when they make the pandemic was you know dropped on us like a, an anvil mm -hmm. but in tough times do you see companies doing that sometimes you know and those who do have it right in my opinion because from what i've seen over the years employees leaders everybody appreciates transparency you know, people want to know where they stand so then they can plan for what might be coming and so i think one of the biggest challenges is when there's a you know there's a realization that hey the leadership of this company did know something and they weren't sharing it with us and then you know that breaks trust and that creates a whole host of other issues so as much as it might be difficult sometimes to be transparent with your employee population my philosophy is be as transparent as you can be because it will be appreciated and it will build loyalty, recognizing, of course, you can't share everything. Right. I think it's okay to say that sometimes too. Look, as a, as a senior, you know, as a C-suite leadership team, whoever we are, we will share with you what we can, but there will be times, there'll be certain situations like XYZ, you know, our financial results, for example, no, we can't share them with the whole company three days before they're released. There's a lot of risk around doing something like that. But we'll give you transparency, internal transparency into what's behind some of those numbers and where we think we're going. I, I think what you're describing to me is that's building trust. Mm -hmm. And one of the tools that Eric and I can use is called Vital Signs, and that's the center of the model is trust. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> love that. So, Robert, um, I'm going to kind of touch back a little bit about the the providing of, um, I don't know, for lack of a better way of describing, I don't know how I did it earlier about the uh, building of resources, right? And being prepared, even though you can't predict uh, for what might be coming your way. And I also think about that for the individual leader, right? The one who does have a span of control that maybe they are a C-suite leader, right? Um, are they giving themselves the necessary support because it sounds great when you know the leader stands up and says i care i'm interested how are you doing mm -hmm. but who's doing that for them who's how are they resourcing themselves and i'm putting you a little bit on the spot robert what are some of the things that you've done or do that gives you support to build those resources yeah, that's a, actually a, a very insightful and great question, Eric. I, 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 it's a hard one, but I love it. Uh, you know, my, my short answer to your first question is who is giving that leader the support that they need 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who's giving them the same things that they're offering to others? Probably nobody, you know, <laughs> is my sort of gut reaction. And so that leads me to my next thought, which is as a leader, one of the things that one of the things that we have to do is recognize when we have needs that aren't being met and figure out how to go get them met. And that sometimes comes, you know, it comes maybe too late. So I, I can, if I may, I can share a, a quick story. So I, I was on assignment in Amsterdam last year. I went to Amsterdam to lead HR operations in the beginning of 2022 when Amsterdam was on lockdown. So it was, it was a scary but exciting move sort of all at the same time to live and work in another country, which is something I always wanted to do and, and learn a new job. And I was so thrilled really by all the newness, by learning this new job, by seeing this beautiful country, by meeting and understanding all of these different cultures, by figuring out how logistics worked. Uh, and, I, and I was, you know, I'm a glass half full kind of person and I kept trying to focus on all the positives of, of the adventure. And what I didn't realize was that all of, the, all of these adventurous things, they have this way of chipping away at you all day long. And for me, I didn't even recognize that was happening. So for example, you know, I join a new gym, I take my stuff there, I, my plan is to, you know, to get ready for, for work at the gym that morning and then the hot water doesn't come on and I'm standing there and I'm wondering, am I doing it wrong or just does it not work or just does it always take a long time? feels like a really little thing. You know, then I'm thinking, did I get on the right train? And then all of a sudden, by the end of the week, I'm completely exhausted and I don't know why. And mm. when I reflect back, I think, oh, that's why. These things all take energy. And who's filling my cup back up? You know, my family was back in Los Angeles. My dogs were back in Los Angeles. My friends, my neighborhood, all of the things that I normally got strength and fulfillment from weren't there. And so that was my big aha moment. Here I had spent a lot of my career supporting expat assignments. And people used to say to me, oh, you should, you should go on one of these assignments sometime. And I didn't realize what they were really saying is, you know, you, we, want you to we want you to understand what this feels like. <laughs> uh, you know it's so that's great that that's great uh that part <laughs> the the uh the sort of the hook there uh yeah. and robert um you, you said some things you know at, well specifically when you said probably no one and at first listen you can kind of go oh my gosh well how are they and who's going to and but i can tell you from my own personal experience um, and, and this was the result of some reflection I've been having uh, from actually, Jeff, and I have not mentioned it to you, is an assessment that we have. Um, it's called SEQ, Robert. It's, it's short for spiritual emotional intelligence. But anyway, so it led me to explore some things about, you know, why I'm positioned the way I am and what was, you know, maybe a gap. And uh, my wife and I were on a walk and I said... I just got to ask you a question. It's going to seem kind of weird, but um, do you think I need encouragement? <laughs> right. Uh -huh. And Robert, she didn't say anything. It was like silence. And, you know, silence <laughs> in the beginning is, is cool. But if yeah. it lingers, you're thinking, oh, what's coming, right? Mm -hmm. And she, she basically said to me, um, I guess probably not. I, I guess I don't see you as someone who needs it. And it wasn't because she doesn't have time. She doesn't care. It's just as a leader, 
And if you're performing at a high level, there's this perception that you've got it all taken care of. Yes. I'm here for you, Robert, and your emotional needs because I've got it all down. I've I've, I've accomplished. I'm there. I'm this. I'm that. And instead of, and I know sometimes people say, well, that's not good. Your friends, your family should all be, well, you know what it taught me a bit was kind of to your point. I need to advocate intentionally. I may be the person who will always appear to not need it. But when I do need it, I need to be able to speak up. I need to be able to say, hey, Robert, I could really use just a listening ear right now. Yes. Versus just kind of, I'm, I'm waiting. Okay, Robert. Uh, well, if Robert really cares, he's going to ask me, do I need a listening ear? You know? I know. And what you're saying, Eric, completely resonates. So I work with an executive coach. I'm a huge believer in coaching and for your personal life and for your professional life. And when I was crying for help, I'll say, not to sound dramatic, but sort of when I was in my most challenged state, feeling maybe a little bit, feeling like I was operating 75, at 75% capacity physically and mentally. I felt that something was taxing me and I was, I knew I needed help and I wasn't sure exactly what I was asking for, but I'll share when I tried to ask for help, I wasn't really getting it. My friends and colleagues looked at me and said, you'll be fine. And so I said to my coach, hey, I'm trying to ask for help. And here's the answer I got. And she said, well, that's because you've created this persona of yourself, of this person who's got it all together 100% of the time. So now people don't know what to do with you when you actually do need something. So that was a big, a, a big aha moment for me. Well, if that establishes nothing else, Robert, you and I are in the same tribe. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff, I see I'll you. I'll take encouragement anytime it's offered, so no shame. So Eric and Robert, maybe, I mean, this is one of the big things for me, is when you get in that situation of needing encouragement, is it a lack of self-empathy, of self-understanding yourself while you're not asking? I think what it is, is you've been in this role for a big chunk of your life where you are, you're the leader, you're supposed to have it all together, and other people rely on you to be successful. And so that's your role, that's your purpose. And so somewhere along the line, along the journey, the, the reflection on what the leader needs just sort of gets lost or overshadowed and the leader trying to be a leader, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would say for me, Jeff, it is that, and I'm, I'm kind of my angle is thinking in terms of uh, family, uh, this perception that um, I am that you know, that very strong, sturdy tree that storms have come and gone, but that tree remains and it always is producing fruit. It's always producing, you know, uh, color, right? And I, I think what happens, that persona that you were mentioning, Robert, is we do kind of start to believe that about ourselves as well. So if, and I'm speaking for me here, if I'm feeling the need for encouragement, I might be the person quickly to say, remember, Eric, you're Superman. You don't need that. You're good. 
just look at all the children you saved yesterday. Look at all those buildings that you leaped over, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in my younger days, I did that default. Now, as time has gone on, I'm much more of a pause, reflect, and quite frankly, don't buy your own BS, Eric. You know, don't don't try to say that it's no big deal when you know that it is. Um, so that would be my 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 perspective, Jeff. You know, we we forget that the the storm weakens the tree, and Superman had kryptonite. Yeah, and I think to a certain degree, the pandemic was our kryptonite. Mm. Our world was shaken so much, even as leaders, that we needed. We were sort of forced to reckon to reckon with the fact that we needed to provide a different level of self-care than we ever had before, perhaps. And Eric, I liked how you shared the, the taking help, asking for help aspect. I went to a wellness retreat recently, and during the classroom portion of it, one of the things, one of the most important things that I think I learned was I'm, you know, I'm a believer in the universe. Some people believe in the power of the universe, God, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you believe in. If the universe drops something in my lap, if I ask for something and the universe brings it to me, I'm very grateful. And I believe that, you know, I got it because I asked for it and because I was supposed to. If that same help comes from another human being, I have a much harder time taking it is what I, what I realized and an even harder time asking for help. And so what the instructor of the course said was when you decline, when you don't ask for help and when you decline help from others that's offered to you, you're actually saying no to the universe. You're being offered something to help you be successful as a human being, as a leader, whatever it may be, and you're turning it down. And that was a huge aha moment for me. And I thought to myself, I was surprised that I hadn't made that connection on my own, but yeah, I had it. Maybe it was conditioning over the years of I've got it, I've got it, which is what you were just saying, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you and to that reminded, point. You just reminded me of an old song. Here's our music. We Eric and I are both bass players, so there has to be music. This isn't rush this time. Our <laughs> listeners will understand that. Remember the old Bill Withers song? Lean on me. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean I get it. There's truly something there, and I, I'm I'm of the mind lately, Robert, that uh, I I no longer feel like I've got to conquer and eradicate my insecurities, and and such, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I can be a complete healthy human being with the insecurities that I have. Mm-hmm. I listen to them. Now, the key is, am I going to allow them to dominate me to a point of where I won't ask for help or I won't seek encouragement? Um, I, I used to think that we that I could eradicate them. I used to think that, you know what, once I get over this, then, or once I stop doing that, then. And yeah. you, you just get to a place where you, you realize you're running out of time here. And this strategy is not working. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing to add. I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Okay. So I'm going to pivot. I'm going to, I got another question around that thing that I mentioned in the beginning about uh, what the impression 
that I got the the vibe I got from you, Robert, was this blend of compassion and business acumen. Um, and, and I think that's a really powerful combination. I certainly I'm not going to go out on the limb to say that I think this is the percentage of leaders out there that are are sort of living that out. But can you talk a little bit about that in your leadership journey, uh, the role that it's played, uh, be it impactful or otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just love this whole topic. I think I could talk about it all day. So I'll try to be brief, but I would start by saying, I think this is a skill that I really learned at Disney. And because that is how most successful leaders lead. It's an organization that truly cares about its employees as human beings and as professionals. And so when I joined after having spent all these years as a leader in a professional services firm, where things were just more analytical and fact-based and and sort of less soft skills, I actually had to draw on that part of myself and learn to become more of an empathetic leader. And so as I was doing that, I realized how wonderful it could be that I could, I could be myself, that I could be um, a human being that I was proud of, and at the same time bring sort of the knowledge and the skills to get the work done. And so when I was thinking about this, in terms of how it plays out for me with how I work, I'd say two things. One is I always focus on building the relationship first, and then I focus on influencing. And that's whether we're talking about an external partner, an internal partner, or an employee on my team. Because I start with the fact that we're human beings first, we're professionals second. And so to me, that's the most important aspect is to figure out how to make a human connection with someone, build the relationship, build their trust. And then once you have that, you can you can influence outcomes so much more effectively. Wow. So, um, you know, I don't think we're hearing it as much anymore about the, you know, the term about leave your emotions at the door, you know, don't bring that into the workplace type thing. Um, Do you think that we're moving in the right direction as it relates to developing leaders and, and I'm speaking about those who maybe are now entering into where they're people managers or or whatever you want to call. Are we developing the the that blend of empathy and and business acumen? Do you think? I do see. I see a huge change from when I entered the workforce, however many years ago it was, mm-hmm. moving in the direction that you're talking about. Having said that, to the earlier point we were making, there are swings in the pendulum along the way. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Maybe we're, we're moving toward the one step back right now, but there's still, to me, good incremental progress. And I also think that as the workforce changes and new generations enter the workforce, who are more focused on the ability to bring their whole self to work, who are yeah. more focused on um, and bringing their interests and feelings about things to work, that just creates a natural shift as well. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but, um, you know, one of the things that I and noticing um, just in, in, in that in that realm. Um, you know, you mentioned, and where I'm going with this, Jeff, is you mentioned about the transparency thing um, earlier. And 
Um, I almost think in a way, you know, more organizations and, and I'm going to, I'm going to set the publicly traded organizations to the, to the side because they're under different types of regulatory and such, uh, you know, from an authority standpoint, there's certain things that they can't be transparent about to your point earlier, Robert. Right. Um, but all things being equal, whatever level of transparency you can bring um, is vital because I, th- I think employees need to hear the not so good part. They need to understand that, hey, if our sales drop by 40% because of recession, we can't just keep everybody and pretend like it's not a big deal, right? Um, if a competitor like Netflix disrupts the market and begins to take market share, and we were we're kind of flat on our feet, we can't just expect it to, I think employees wanna hear that too, right? Versus it all, you know, yeah, because that's a part of life, right? I mean, Robert, if, if, if we, if we sat here today and said, you know what, every podcast we do is perfect. Nobody needs to like have us stop the recording. Nobody needs us to repeat a question because it's all great. Robert, you'd probably say, I, I've changed my mind. I think I'm not going to appear on your show, right? <laughs> um, yes. So that's where I'm going with that, uh, the transparency thing again. Um, you know, could it could it be that, you know, maybe there needs to be more of that frankness so that, you know, because tough times are going to come, right? Inevitably. And Absolutely. I, I, I mean, the, the first thing that every employee population wants to know after a round of layoffs is, are there more coming? And I think one of the most important things an an employer can do in that moment is answer honestly. Putting people at ease when a company might not be sure of what's coming is is not the right answer. Because again, if that happens, if another layoff happens and people are thinking that it wasn't supposed to because they were told by their leaders, it goes back to that trust factor. Yeah. that we were talking about before. I, I can just share a quick, smaller example. Years ago, earlier in my career, I took over a large team that um, had a lot of outdated processes and, and no technology. And as we started to embark on making things more efficient, I was noticing a lot of fear from some team members about the stability of their jobs. You know, if we, if we, go, out, if we go after some new technology that's going to automate some of these things, will I still have a job when all is said and done? And I remember standing up in front of the team at that time and saying that I do think that some of this work will go away and I can't tell you for sure that everybody's job will be safe. This team may get smaller as a result of getting more efficient. However, what I would do if I were in your shoes is try to learn new things, to try to show interest in other types of roles on the team, to look at what's happening outside of our own team to see if there's anything that you know you might be interested in in another part of the organization. So being honest with people and also giving them back some control and some power of how to influence their future so that they're not sitting there feeling fearful and out of control, if you will. Yeah, that's a great example, right? Because I, I oftentimes think uh people can are, are are sometimes too willing to see their own power 
I, I guess in some ways the saying it to the point of where they believe that their destiny, their future is totally hinged to an organization. And it, and it's not, um, and nor as scary as it is to be told that, Hey, we're going to need to eliminate your position or we're laying off you and a hundred others. I don't want to make light of that by any stretch. However, at the same time, you know, life delivers all types of twists and turns, you know, the, the, it's, it's always a mixed thing. Um, but so I, I, this is probably a good place, Robert, to go to this next question around uh, a little bit of advice for those out there who are navigating a career. They may be in the kind of position that you just described, but instead of some, well, it is a technology AI, will AI eliminate my role and the need for what I do? Or maybe it's someone who's I mean, things are going well. They're they're ascending like they want. They're making the kind of money they want on all of that. So mm -hmm. in our current state, what advice would you give to those who are navigating their career? Maybe some a couple of few things. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to one thing that you said quickly about I think you alluded to the fact that sometimes people can feel stuck for one reason or another in a role that they're in where you know they're not happy for whatever reason. I mean, maybe the organization's values have shifted away from away from their values and now they feel disconnected. They don't feel as behind the mission anymore, as much a part of the culture. And so they feel stuck. And we, they they, and I put myself in this category as well because I've been there on and off over the course of my career. We tell ourselves stories. Like, you know, I'm never going to make as much money somewhere else, so I'm stuck here. I need to support my family. Or, you know, it's just, here's a big one. It's the same everywhere. So why should I leave? I'm just going to have, you know, the same kind of frustrations if I, if I move to another company. And one thing that I want to share that I have learned is that there are always, we always have choices. There are always other options, and it's not the same everywhere. And so what I would say, you know, if, if, if we're finding ourselves in a situation where we're not happy at work for, for whatever reason, I think depending on what the reasons are, there's a lot of things that we can do to feel more like, you know, we're captain of our own ship. And I think the, the thing that comes to mind first and foremost is influence, take, have the power to influence our own environment. So if we're not feeling, you know, the same level of TLC that we would like to be feeling from the senior leadership team, what can we do in our own world to give out more of what we would like to see back and more of what we would like to feel? Is it showing appreciation to our coworkers? Is it remembering someone's birthday? Is it, you know, getting together to go for a walk during a one-on-one -on -one instead of, you know, doing a video meeting or, 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 or what have you? There are things that, that we can do to influence our own environment first and foremost. And then I would say in terms of, you know, how to, how to navigate in, did, did you ask about how to navigate in a very, in a changing world or a yeah. changing profession? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I would say stay open to new concepts first and foremost, but not with the, not with the expectation that we need to be experts. Nobody's an expert in AI right now. But we need to understand the basics of it. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes as human beings, we tend to have this all or nothing approach to things. Something new came along. I need to know all about it or I'm irrelevant. That's not the case. 
Take yeah. some time. You know what, Robert? I, I, I'm interrupting you, I, and I'm sorry. Sure. I, I just, you know, Jeff, you know, the old uh, duality versus non-duality, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it is, um, and, and for some, I know, and with, with empathy, I, I, I get it. We like the certainty of it's either yes or no, black or white, good or bad. It, and it feels safer when that can happen. But it's so much more liberating when we can begin to say, well, wait a minute. I could look into the western sky just like I look into the eastern sky. Matter of fact, I could look south and I could look north. It's okay, right? Yes. It doesn't mean that eventually I go back to it's the east, but I, I guess that's the one thing. And I, and I know, um, and Jeff, as I, as I look at you, I'm, I'm, I'm going back in time in this, this idea about, okay, uh, what are my options? You know, a key tenet of the choose yourself pursuit, right, is what are my options? It's not what is the option, it's what are my options? Um, and I acknowledge, yes, it is scary at times. I've been there. Uh, Robert, you just alluded to it. We've, we've all been there in those yes. times. But the key is, is what are we going to do despite, and not even mentioning, you know, uh, the idea about, well, you're feeling fear right now. Mm-hmm. What if instead of running, you just decided to sit with the fear? Yes. Just, just sit with it. Just allow it to say what it's going to say. Allow it to be what it's going to be, and then realize, well, wait a minute, that I do have options. And again, I don't want to. I don't want to belittle anyone's difficult situation. I know that may not change the fact that layoffs are happening, and it could very well mean your job is next. But man, think of the condition we'll be in if we've been able to go, you know what? Yeah, I'm afraid, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's not, it's not the end of my world. And to your point, Robert, right? This idea, I'm never going to make this kind of money. Well, wait a minute. Have you done any homework on that? Do you, have you compared, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yes. Maybe you'll make more, you know? (laughs) Right. I mean, and I get it in our culture and as human beings, there's, we have this propensity, right? It's always, it's never going to be as good. And we've used this example many, many times. It's like, okay, when you, the idea of judgment, all right, we're very big, Robert, on the idea of curiosity, 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 Mm -hmm. and then judgment. Exhaust curiosity before you judge. Be curious Mm -hmm. about curiosity. Yeah, there you go. Even (laughs) even more so, right? And and what what we've found, in our experience and by doing that it allows you to to learn i mean mm-hmm. how can you learn and it's funny we we had a guest on she's 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 tremendous um she's involved in the dei space mm-hmm. and and we got to talking about someone who has some level of prejudice or bigotry toward fill in the blank fill in the blank right and i i said to her you know most of the time when people are in a judge approach, if that's their their go-to, they're operating with maybe 5 to 10% of the story of the information. And I, I joked with her. I said, hey, if, if we decided to go in business together, 
And you said, okay, I, show me the business plan. This sounds great. And then I go, oh, we don't need a business plan. We're just going to start tomorrow. I'm sorry. You're not going there. But yes. we will do that to a fellow human being <laughs> all the time. Yes. You know, and I get it. Again, there's my empathy coming out for those that maybe just don't know. Yeah, maybe their dad told them when they were eight that people like that are this. And mm-hmm. they never questioned that core belief. They never they never started going, well, I, I wonder. I'm going to ask Jeff. Jeff, is it all of those type of people? It's just um, I'm going off on a tangent. So, Jeff, save me here. What do you got? <laughs> you know, I want to go back a little bit. The technology part. Mm-hmm. I lived through that company that I, I retired from. I was a service company, so technicians were going to have to go electronic when they were out in the field. And a good bit of the tech uh, uh, technicians were my age, boomers, but a little bit older. A lot of them didn't even have a home computer of any kind. And a lot of them thought they were going to lose their job over this. But the company made a point of addressing that and had them learn along with us as we went through that situation. Um, okay, you're, you're, you've never used something like this before. And, you know, when you're a technician, you're not sitting next to someone else that knows what's going on. You're out in the field by yourself. So the managers, we all made a, a, a point to spend time with them in the field and let them learn. And I think that's something that a lot of companies miss out on. Here it is, deal with it. And that's not fair to anyone. No, it's not. It's another, you know, back to what we're, oh, sorry. No, I just said, we. I don't think we lost any technicians over that. Because it probably built loyalty, you know, which is what we were talking about earlier. A company investing in developing people, of course, is going to build loyalty. Not only is my job safe, but now I have a new skill and a, a new marketable skill. And Eric, back to the concept of duality that you were talking about before, one of the things that, that, that sparked in my mind when I was thinking about that is that we should, as professionals, we should always be making time to market ourselves externally. And we have a tendency to get so focused on what it is that we're doing. What is our day job that we're being paid to do? We have so much to do in that space. We go all in, in that space. And then, you know, there's, there's a shift in the economy or something changes. And all of a sudden we find ourselves without a job and we're not really ready. We don't really know what's out there. People don't know who we are because we've spent so much time internally focused in our own organization. And I think when we do that, we're, we're cheating ourselves a little bit. We should always, especially in a world where people are changing jobs multiple times over the course of their careers. As a matter of fact, it's becoming more normal to change every year for, for some people. It's, it's perfectly acceptable. Whereas five years ago, if I saw a resume of, of someone changing jobs every year, I would think something was wrong and I would quickly move on to the next one. So, so that's different. And so I do see, and as I'm, is I'm focused on my own external awareness more so than I ever have been. I'm seeing something that I could have done better with over the course of my career. I'm seeing people who are employed full time. They're happy or they appear to be happy, but they're posting on LinkedIn. They're, they're out there. 
And they're, however much of their time a day they're taking to make sure that they're ready and they're relevant and they're reading up on things and they're connected, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour, I don't know, that's probably different for everybody, but that is time well spent that's really easy for us to forget about because of what's right in front of us. Yeah. And, you know, this reminds me, Robert, as you say that, um, what do you think of the the value of someone doing a, an intentional inventory of their accomplishments and achievements and such? Um, and it kind of goes along with, um, you know, the only thing that comes to my mind, I think about the SWOT analysis, you know, which I know is is very much a, a typically a business enterprise type process, but I think it can be applied. I know it can be applied to the individual and not so much because you're trying to see how good you are, but it's to remind you because you're right when you're in the work you do and it's day in and day out and day in and day out, you will forget that you've built these skills. You now have this ability or you now have this marketable skill, right? Um, And it, and I get it. And I could probably, Jeff, we could do a whole show on whatever happened to reflection. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's we're not a very reflective culture anymore. And uh, it, it always amazes me. It's like, you know, when I have people and, and I'm thinking of one individual who had worked in an organization for a, I mean, multiple decades. Right. I was two decades. And I remember that they they got the the rumor or the 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 aroma in the air that job eliminations were coming and i remember him coming to me in a in total fright i don't know how to do anything other than this i don't know what where else i could do this because his whole identity his whole was wrapped in that organization now i'm in the audience right if you will and mm-hmm. i'm going you don't know how good you are you don't know that you've done this. You told me about that. You you achieved, you were appointed to this council. You mm-hmm. and he it was like news to him. Yes. And I think that I love that you brought that up, Eric. I actually think that's pretty common. And I would say the reason that I think that that happens is because we're we're living our own experience and we start to think that whatever experience is we've had or whatever skills we've gained everybody else has them too and we don't necessarily see that we're unique or where we are unique even though we really are and similar to taking time to invest on in marketing ourselves externally or or wherever taking the time to reflect on our skills is something that we tend to just avoid for whatever reason. Maybe it's hard to write about ourselves. Maybe we're modest. Maybe there's something easier and more pressing that's right under our noses that we're going to tackle. You know, the, the reasons could be could be multiple. But I 100% agree with you that we we've moved away from from that level of reflection. And I would say for me, sometimes it's because I'm so focused on what I have to do. And so when I'm leading a team. I'm never focused on what we have done. And I always have to remind myself, take time to celebrate. My team hears me say this a lot. We need to take time to celebrate all we have done. Yes, we still have all of these things that we need to focus on, but what about all this? Because it's so easy to just focus on what's in front of you and, yeah. and, and not celebrate what you've done. Wow. 
So as we do have this wonderful problem from time to time, Robert, is the running out of time thing. And that's a sign that this has been a great conversation. But before we come to a close, what are some of the things that are exciting you right now? What are some things that you're working on that you'd love the world to know? Well, hopefully the world thinks it's as exciting as I do. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I've been thinking a lot about well-being and how I've focused on well-being for me. And I'll share that over the course of my career, I've heard a lot from people, from my peers, from my team members, that I project this level of calm, that I've always got everything taken care of, and that I've, I've got it all figured out. You know, I've got, I look like I got enough sleep the night before, you know, I've got the plan for the most important priorities, I've done the reading before the meeting, whatever it happens to be. And people say, how do you do that? And so as I started to think about that, for me, there's a huge connection between well-being and planning. And planning might not be the first thing that most people think about when they think about well-being, but, you know, if you hear me out for a second... Yeah, please. I think about, for me, understanding what it is in my day that's going to help me to be successful. So that's that's waking up, that's meditating, that's getting a workout in, that is actually having time to get dressed and ready for work before my first meeting and having had something to eat, time to get outside during the day for a walk, uh, trying to avoid having an early meeting and a late meeting on the same day. Those are all things that help me to be successful and help me stay in balance. And then I would say the second thing is setting boundaries. And so what I mean by that is one thing that I learned pretty quickly during the beginning of COVID was I cannot sit in video meetings for more than two hours at a time or I start to pull my hair out. I just can't. I, I need to get up. I need to get something to drink. I need to stretch. I need to get away from the computer screen. need to check my text messages, whatever it happens to be. And so I've managed to avoid through careful planning every week never booking more than two hours of back-to-back meetings without having a little bit of a break in between, whatever that break looks like. But that's a boundary for me. Um, And then something that I learned, something real, I've I've been reading sort of a lot of, I'll call them oldies but goodies lately. I've read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People not long ago. And my biggest takeaway from that was taking the time on, for me, it was a Sunday afternoon, to document what are all the different roles that I play in my life and what are the most important things that I need to do in each of those roles. So if I'm a doggy dad, is that, is that one of the roles? Do I need to take my dog to the vet that week because they're overdue for their vaccinations or whatever? And so that to me has been really helpful in making sure that I'm focused on all the right things. And then lastly, and I'll, I'll be quiet, is taking a half hour to an hour every week and actually going through my schedule in detail for the upcoming week and then at a high level for the next three weeks. So the in detail is, oh, there's a scheduling conflict that would have caused me anxiety or, oh, here's a meeting that's booked on my calendar that I actually had the week before that I don't need. And so I have some space where I didn't realize I had space. And then the three weeks out thing, maybe I have a presentation coming up that I forgot about, but now I see it. And now I can stop what I'm doing and book time to prepare for that presentation. And so all of these things together help to keep me feeling kind of balanced and in control and calm. Well, from my perspective, Jeff, what Robert just went through, though it is not exact and aligned totally with mine, I would say once again, Robert, you and I are in the same tribe. It's been, <laughs> it, it, it is 
it's it's it was life changing mm-hmm. because Robert and Jeff's heard this before. If you would have known me 20 years ago, uh, I was chasing. I was just chasing, acquiring, chasing, acquiring. And it's I do not recommend that life. <laughs> but to your point, that's great. That's that's awesome. All right. So, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, Because of the running out of time thing, Jeff and I usually see that as, oh, we need to have you back again. So um, hopefully you'll be willing to come back and talk about more things HR related and non. um, But your insights are great. And I know our audience are going to get a lot out of it. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Jeff. This has been a ton of fun. Enjoyed it. Thank you for the invitation. I, I hope some of the things they shared will be helpful for your audience. And by the way, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, I can absolutely do that by email. Mention Spirit of EQ in the podcast, so I know what it's in, in the, excuse me, mention Spirit of EQ in the subject line, so I know what it's in reference to. And my email address is a little odd, but I created it a long time ago, and it's really difficult to change it, so I have to live with it. It is C as in cat, T as in Tom, C as in cat, A as in apple, D as in David, C as in cat, at gmail.com. Where that comes from is at the time I had lived in Connecticut, California, and D.C., and that was my creativity for my email address. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not to worry as well, Robert. We will make sure that your email is in the show notes as well. Uh, So for our audience, if you want to reach out to Robert to – for whatever reason that may be, uh, because I'm sure he could help your organization in many respects, if nothing else, to give insights. Because, again, this time flew by. And, Robert, there are other things I wanted to ask you, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think they'll benefit from that, too. So with that, everyone, thanks for tuning in to the podcast. We enjoyed it. We look forward to the next time we're together. Take care.